where we'll continue our study in 1 John 4. While you're finding your place, I'll say a few words of introduction. We live in a world that thinks it knows what love is, but it hasn't got a clue. The world says God is love, Jesus preached love, and love is love, but they don't have any idea what any of those things mean. More than that, you read the headlines, watch the news, consume any form of media, and what do you see? A world that's filled with selfishness, conceit, pride, condemnation, anger, and resentment. For a world so interested in love, and a world so confident it knows what love means, there's an awful lot of hate. How can the world, therefore, teach us what love is? Simply, it cannot. So how can we learn what love is? The answer, again, is simple. By looking to Christ, as John shows us tonight in 1 John chapter 4. And so if you found your place in 1 John 4, would you follow along with me as I read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would open our minds, that you would soften our hearts, that you would cause us to be a people who love one another. For this is not something that comes from within, but it's from you, that you indeed are love. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John has spoken to us about love already, and I want to remind you of some of the things that he said. And simply, what I intend to do is to read some of those verses, provide a summary statement to explain what we see. We first see that God's love is perfected. That is, God's love is completed, brought to completion in us when we keep his commandment 
to love one another. We read that in 1 John 2, verses 4 through 6, which I'll quote in part. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, John taught us that brotherly love is evidence that we are in the light. And remember that God is light. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, he says in 1 John 2, 10. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John has also shown us that love for God is incompatible with love for the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, we read in 1 John 2.15. And God loves us, as John shows us, and has shown his love for us in calling us and designating us as his children. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Again, this message has not changed about God being love and the way he's loved us and what he requires of us. We must love one another. 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we're reminded again in 1 John 3.14 that that brotherly love is evidence that we have eternal life. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, John told us in 1 John 3.14. Now, John also showed us what the example of love is. What, how it is that we know what love is by pointing us to Christ's sacrificial death as the definition of love. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, John shows us that true love is love in action. It's not merely love in words. And so John went on to say, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then one more verse. He shows that God commands us to believe in Christ and to love one another. Again, reminding us of the necessity of brotherly love in the Christian life. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So let me summarize all of that. Let me put that in uh, a concrete summary form. Love for God and love for the world is incompatible. But love for God and brotherly love is inseparable. The reason is that true love flows first from God to us, not first in the other direction. And true love is known through God's demonstrated love for us. He loved us by designating us as his children, by adopting us. And Christ loved us by giving his life to save us. Our love must be like this, for so he has commanded us. Now in this passage, John will return to this theme of love, which you can see from that brief review is a significant major theme in his letter. And here, he's going to call us once more to be marked by brotherly love with the words, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, there are two reasons why John calls us to do this. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Ultimately, this follows from the simple truth that God is love. It's hard to wrap our minds around this idea because it's a bit abstract. We don't normally think of someone being love, or we don't think of love in this way, I should say, as something that is part of God's nature that describes what he is and what he is like and who he is. We think of love as something that we feel primarily. John would have us think of it differently. God is loving and God acts in love, but this flows from his very nature. So his love for us is the logical consequence of the fact that God is love. This term then describes the nature of the triune God. As a consequence of this truth, we see that those who are born of God and know God share in this quality. Being born of him, they become like him, just like any child is like her father and mother. So too those who are born of God are like God who is love. Just as those who are born of God walk in the light, for God is light, those who are born of God walk in love, for God is love. To be born of God also is to know God. Now, that's not to say that these things are identical. It's to say that they go together necessarily. John brings them together here. He says that um, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And right before that, he had told us that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You, you see, these two ideas uh, shine the light, uh, one of the lights on God and one of them on us. There's something that God does, and there's something that we do. We know him. He has caused us to be born of him. See, the difference is one of perspective, of whose action we are looking at. And one is the consequence of the other, that is, we know God because God has caused us to be born of him. Just like a child knows her parents, those who are born of God know him. Now, how can we know that we know God? Well, how do you know that you know anyone? You know what they are like. You can describe them. If you were called to testify in court as a witness for a defendant, the prosecutor might test your ability to serve as a witness by trying to determine whether or not you really know the defendant. If your testimony depends upon that fact that you actually know that person, they might ask you about the person who you're defending, who your testimony uh, concerns. Do you know, uh, how do you know this person? Where do they come from? What do they do for work? What are they like? And if you're a character witness, for instance, and you're to uh, to, to testify concerning that person being a decent and respectable person and that the uh, person who's accused, um, whatever they're accused of, is not consistent with their character, you really need to know them. So the prosecutor will test whether or not you know that. In a very similar way, John applies that standard in our situation. How do we know that we know God? Brotherly love is the test. And this takes it a bit further than simply being a character witness. It's not just about saying, I know what God is like. For knowing God is not just a thing that is true in our minds. It's not just knowing about him. But it's something that has an effect in our lives. If it goes together with being born of God, naturally, to know God has a consequence. We become like him if we are born of him and know him. 
And so we don't simply just testify by saying that we know that God is love. We testify by living lives, lives of love. Brotherly love is the test of whether or not we, in fact, know God and have been born of him. It's the test that John gives us here in this passage. Now, a person can claim to know God, but if he is filled with hate, he does not really know him. He can say, I know him, but he has not been born of him. For if he really is born again, he will live a life of love. It is as simple as that. Now, we might wonder, however, how can we know that we actually are living lives of love? Or to put it another way, we might wonder, what is love? What does it look like? What would it look like for me to live a life of love? One that really loves the way that God has loved. For this, John turns our attention to the example of love. One that we've already seen, as I mentioned from 1 John 3.16, when I read this verse, by this we know love, that he has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John directs our attention to this truth once more in verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved, loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now these two statements in verse 9 and verse 10 stand in parallel, and the second interprets the first. God has made known his love to us. He has revealed his love to us in the sending of his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. In the fullness of time, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, Paul tells us in Galatians 4, from under the law, so that we might become children of God. That is the peculiar demonstration of God's love, the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us, that he sent his son so that we might have life through him. And then John clarifies how it is that we come to have life through him in verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God. We don't define love by what comes from within us. We don't define it by how we feel or by what we think it might be. We define it as we see God's love demonstrated in our lives in history, in the course of time, in a way that matters in our life. We see his love and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word propitiation refers to an atoning sacrifice. We only see it two times in the New Testament, both of them here in this letter. John has already told us that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. You remember that from 1 John 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here he tells us again that God sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But this word we see several times in the Old Testament. That is, it translates the word that we see uh, as atonement, that we understand as atonement. On the Day of Atonement, God commanded the people to make a sacrifice. That is, the high priest was to make a sacrifice for all of the people. And you can read about that in Leviticus 25. This is the word that describes that sacrifice by which God paid for the guilt, paid the debt for his people. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. And that 
is the peculiar demonstration, the unique or the supreme demonstration of God's love for us. This is how we know what love is. God sent his son to die for us. Again, as we think about this reality, this is something that should have an effect upon us. This is not just a matter of knowing what God has done for us, but it's also a matter of learning from the example he has set for us. If we're to love one another, and he has shown us what love means in the sacrifice of his son, then we're also to love in this way. That's what John says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is, in the way that he loved us, we're to love one another. We're to love one another by sacrificing for one another, by giving of ourselves for the good of another. That should be the character of our lives, and it can be the character of our life. It is possible if we are born of God, for love is from God, and he will produce that love in us. Now, John reminds us that no one has ever seen God. That's a theme that you'll find throughout his gospel. No one has ever seen God. And so we might imagine someone objecting and saying, well, if you've never seen God, how can you know that this is what God is like? And yet, we don't need to see him visibly in order to know that he is in us and we are in him. For we know that he is love because of what he did in sending his son into the world. We don't need to see him to verify this. He has shown it to us. He has revealed it to us. He has made this manifest among us. And so we know, even though we haven't seen him, that he is in us and we are in him when we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's been brought to completion in us, if this is true in us. Now John is going to then return to some other themes. He's explored this theme of love once more in this, in this letter, but now he's going to bring it into contact with other themes that we've visited in this letter that we've seen or we've read about. This is John's typical way. He doesn't proceed in a uh, straight line in his argument, but he proceeds in a circular way. I, I don't mean circular in terms of bad logic. I mean circular in that he takes up one idea and then sets it down and takes up another idea and sets it down. And as he makes his pass, as he comes back around, very often he'll take up one idea that he's revisited before and he'll take up another with it and he'll put them together and consider them at the same time. That can be difficult for us to think through until we get used to his way of presenting uh, these truths. And yet, it's helpful to remember that there aren't that many things in this letter. At the end of the day, he's talking a great deal about know, how we know what we know, how we know what we believe concerning God and concerning his son, Jesus Christ. He's talking about our need to walk according to the pattern of life that Jesus modeled for us, to walk in the light, which for us means confessing our sins and to living repentant lives and to keeping his commandments. And then there's a third idea that we've seen of loving one another. And these three things, John just goes back and forth between them. And he considers one and then the other, and then he considers two together. Here we're going to see that John considers love beside belief. That is how we know what we know. Look at what he says in 
verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We saw a similar statement at the end of chapter 3. And by the, verse 24 there says, And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It's a bit difficult to put this together until we realize that the way John presents the spirit to us is consistent. John always presents the spirit as the one who testifies to the truth of the message we've received concerning Christ. The spirit of God bears witness to Christ so that we know that the message we've received handed down from the apostles until now, is true. He bears witness within us, testifying that, indeed, it is true. When you hear someone say that God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, in the course of time, to, as a man, fully God and fully man, to give his life as an atoning sacrifice so that we might have life through him. The Spirit of God bears witness to us that this, indeed, is true. So we know that we abide in him and he in us because of the, he has given us of his spirit. That is, the spirit also testifies to the truth of this, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That we are in God and God is in us because we have come to believe that message that we have received. And it's not just the spirit who bears this witness. John also and the other apostles and the other eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ bear witness. You recall the very first uh, lines of this letter. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John set this message within the context of history as something that had been seen and verified and believed. And so John reminds us again, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It's a credible testimony. It's a credible witness. And yet, it's not just about knowing something. It's about believing the love that God has for us. John goes on to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. You can understand what John is after, what he's getting at, if you remind yourself, if we remember the situation into which he's writing. There are people who have left this church, false teachers, who are saying all sorts of things that are contrary to the message that John is teaching. Contrary to the message that was received from Christ, passed down through his apostles, passed down through the eyewitnesses. They're saying things like, well, Jesus Christ is not really the Son of God. Or they're saying, he did not really come in the flesh. Or they're saying that we don't need an atoning sacrifice, we have ceased from sin. They're denying all sorts of things that John has said. And in that situation, you can imagine that people would be unsettled in their faith. They would be unsure if all of this is true. It sounds really good. It sounds really nice. These words, this talk of love. But how can I know that you're right, John? How can I be sure? And so John reminds us. We have come to know the, the, these things. We have come to know that God is love. We have come to know that he's demonstrated his love for us in sending his son. Because we have two 
trustworthy witnesses. Two trustworthy testimonies, I should say. We have the testimony of the disciples, the apostles, the eyewitnesses, the people who saw him in the course of time. Many, many, many eyewitnesses who bear a consistent testimony, the same thing. And we have a testimony that's greater. Testimony of the Holy Spirit within us. That indeed, this is true. This is the message that God has given us. And so we've come to know the love that God has for us. We've come to understand through this what love is. We've come to realize that love is the peculiar mark that affirms to us, that enables us to know that we are in Christ and he is in us, to know that we abide in God, that we remain in him and he in us. In a world when many are abandoning the Christian faith, like ours, like John's, it's helpful to have concrete tests, clear tests by which we might know that, it's, that we really are on that right path. We are really remaining with God in the way that he would have us go. So John gives us those tests. And here, the central one is love. Do we love one another? Finally, John is going to show us what love looks like when it's perfected. Or to put it another way, he's going to show us the consequences of perfected love. Here we read in verse 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now again, I remind you, this word perfected, it, it refers to something being brought to completion. The goal or the aim of God's love in us is that we might become love, loving as he is loving. That we might... Uh, that we might share in his character, that we might be like him as children of God who love one another. That's the aim. And so when that's true in us, God's love has been perfected in us. And because this is a test, a proof for us that we are in God, it should give us confidence as we think about the coming day of judgment. John says that... Uh, we, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for that day of judgment. He's spoken of that confidence already before. We recall from chapter 2 and chapter 3 as he spoke about Christ's appearing and the confidence that we might have when he comes again. We don't need to be those who shrink back in fear, who fear his judgment on the day of judgment. For we know that he is the one who already took our judgment. That is what it means to say he is the propitiation for our sins. Our judgment has already been received by another. And we know that it, it has been received by another because we love one another. We know, that is, that God has caused us to be born again. In this, in this way, he assures us that we do not have to face that judgment. We don't have to look to that day with fear. We can look to that day with confidence and with hope, knowing that we will be delivered on that day. You see, John does not want us to live lives of fear. In verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here, it's helpful to note that John is not talking about the kind of 
fear of the Lord that we read about in Proverbs. We're told in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in verse nine, uh, 10 of chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a different kind of thing. That's a fear of the Lord that is marked by reverence and awe for God. By his, that is marked by uh, a recognition of his glory and his majesty. That's a right fear. The fear that John describes here is fear that has to do with judgment. He says that very clearly. That is, it's the kind of fear that people have when they face a certain judgment, when they know that their uh, a reckoning is coming. As Christians, we need not live in that fear if we are in Christ, if we know ourselves to be in Christ, because we know that our judgment has been received by him, that our debt has been paid by him, that as he hung upon the cross, he bore the judgment of Almighty God for our sake. And so we know that we don't need to fear because we know the love that God has for us. There is no fear in love, not this kind of fear. Perfect love casts out that kind of fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now John would remind us once more, this is not a love that comes from within. It's a love that comes to us from God. He says, we love because he first loved us. The reason why we are able to love is because God has loved us. And recall once more all of the things that John has said about the way in which God loves us. Especially that first statement at the beginning of chapter 3. God has shown us his love and that he has made us his children. He has caused us to be born again. And so we love as a consequence of this work that he has produced in us. We don't cause ourselves to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. So we love. We love because he first loved us. Now, if anyone says, I love God, John says, that person's a liar. Because God does not pro uh, produce his love in us only for himself. We need to see the flow, the direction of this. God showed his love to us. He demonstrated his love for us in sending his son. And those who receive that in faith, those who are born again and come to know him, then demonstrate that love toward others. It continues to flow toward others in brotherly love. But in John's context and in our own, there are people who will say, I do love God. I absolutely love God. And their life is marked by hatred for others. They don't love others. And John says, you don't really love God. Now let's put this in the context of what we know from all of Scripture. Starting with Genesis 1. God made man in his own image, in his likeness. When we see another person, we see someone who is made in the image of God. If we hate him, if we hate that person, if we treat that person horribly and despise them, are we really loving God? Are we really loving the God who made that person in his image? Surely not. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love, love God whom he has not seen. We see people in need. John has said that before. He talks about how if anyone sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, that's in verse 17 of chapter 3. How does God's love abide in him? How can he love God and have the love of God if he cannot love the person whom he sees in need? How can he love the one he doesn't see? He cannot. We cannot love God if we don't love one another. It's really as simple as that. Perfect love, perfected love, completed love does not flow only in one direction. It does not only flow from us to God. It flows from us to others. And we start to see then the relationship between those two great commandments. Where God commanded his people, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second being like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's different in our day and different in our age, different because of the coming of Christ, is that God has given us the power by which we might actually fulfill those commandments. God has produced in us what is necessary so that we might live truly live with love for God and love for others. And that is the peculiar mark of the Christian life. For this is the commandment that we have from Christ. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you first loved us when we were not lovable, when we were in rebellion against you, you sent for us your Son, by whom you redeem us, by whom you, through whom you call us to become your children, to cease being enemies, and begin to live as sons and daughters, as your sons and daughters. We thank you for this great love that you've shown us, Lord. And we pray that you would produce that kind of love in us, that we might truly be a people who lives with love for others. We know that we fall short daily in this regard. We know that we fail to love perfectly the way that you have loved us. And yet, we know that day by day you are transforming us into the image of your Son making us more like him. And this includes love. We pray that you would cause us to increase in love for one another. Just as he loved us, may we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.